Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Lillahi alhamdu rabbis samawati rabbil ardi rabbil alamin wa lahul kibriya'u fis samawati wal ardi wa huwal azizul hakim. Nahmaduhu ta'ala wa huwa jalla wa ala wa nashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa nashhadu anna Muhammadan 'abduhu wa rasuluhu sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa baraka wa sallama tasliman kathiran kathira amma ba'd rabbi yassir wa la tu'assir wa tamim bil khayri wa bika nasta'in ya fatah rabbi shrah li sadri wa yassir li amri wa hlul uqdatam min lisani yafqahu qawli rabbi zidni ilma wa alhiqni bis salihin subhanaka la ilma lana illa ma 'allamtana innaka antal alimul hakim subhanaka la fahma lana illa ma my dear respected elders, brothers and sisters in Islam, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Although every prescribed pillar of Islam is exclusive to a particular group, from the masses of the people to those who meet required conditions, Conditions which make it either compulsory on one through their presence or exempts one from it due to their absence. Despite it, despite all these conditions, the effect of the performed deed itself is attractive to all those around it and it makes one who is or may be distant from it feel as they are a part of it. Let me explain this through an example. A person is taking the shahada. They are reverting to Islam. It is required from them, one of the conditions, it's required that they are pure and clean from the body to the clothing. Now once this process begins, the joy and emotions engulf all those who sit and witness it. You don't need to be there. But you hear that someone's taking the shahada, everyone sits down, they listen, they are happy, jubilant, and they also cry tears of joy. Another example, a congregation gathers for prayers. Children are amidst them. Although prayer is compulsory on the mature ones, yet the children willingly follow along. Additionally, they brag about it once they complete it. Look, Dad, Dad, I performed prayer. I prayed with you. Look, Mom, I prayed with you. A sense of involvement which bears the fruit of accomplishment. Similarly, my dear friends, fasting. One who is ill or traveling is exempted from fasting. Yet you will never find, I don't want to say never, you'll seldomly find those individuals eating in the open despite their exemption. Why? Because there is a sense of accountability. Hajj, my dear brothers and sisters, however, blame it on customs or culture or just plain and simple ignorance, attached to it exists a view that if you're not going to Hajj, well then this month to some extent is meaningless to you. How can this mindset continue to stand till this day? When our history shows us that deeds should not separate us into classes, just like the current world economic levels have. 
For in it you have the upper class, the middle class, and the low income category. What is this all based upon? How much you bring home, depicting a lifestyle you should then live with it. Recall that famous incident when a group of the poor companions, the destitute ones, came and addressed a concern to our Nabi Muhammad Mustafa They had a complaint or a concern regarding those who were more affluent than they were. Not for what they possessed, that oh these people are more rich, they have more money, or they look better than we do. No, but on the basis that they were able to do more deeds with what they had. So this was the concern with which the poor companions came to Muhammad Sallallahu Oh Muhammad Sallallahu they have the money and they could do this and we can't do it. Let us understand what happens. Focus was always to stay on par with others in aspect of deeds or to be in the race whilst we are running towards accomplishing deeds. So Muhammad sallallahu instructed them to do certain dhikr. After prayer, say subhanallah 33 times, alhamdulillah 33 times, Allah 34 times. So what transpired was after that advice, after that new deed that they could perform, they started doing it after the prayers. But they were doing it very quietly. And those sitting around them who were not prescribed these deeds were listening attentively. What are they doing? Hence, long story short, they caught on. And they started doing similar, i.e. the affluent companions started doing similar to those who got the prescription due to the fact that they had a complaint and concern that we can't match them in deeds. So they went back to Rasulullah complaining that now the rich ones have also taken up this dhikr, i.e. they have taken us over once again. So Rasulullah acknowledged that and he said that wealth could be a privilege that Allah subhanahu gives to whom he wills. And to balance that thought, Rasulullah taught that majority of the inhabitants of paradise will be the masakeen, the poor and the needy. I, he told them, don't lose hope and don't give up. Because of what your present condition may be, it does not put you back when it comes into the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Continue moving forward because you could also be in paradise. So my dear friends, the point is regardless the season or the occasion, the practice or the prescription, no one can give the feeble excuse of saying, I can't be a part of it or I am unable to do it. For even if you're not going for the Hajj, you have to feel being a part of it for truly you are a part of it. Remember, deeds are opportunities Allah subhanahu has blessed all with. There are always something in store for you just as there is for all. The Haji may be performing the Hajj, which is a deed that only some can do. But there is much more in this sacred month for the others. Today we want to learn the opportunities in store for the non-pilgrim in addition to all that, that we've learned in the last seven weeks for a pilgrim. 
We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to see the bigger picture and understand that there is deeds there for everyone to benefit from. And today we're going to tally which side ends up more successful in opportunities, the pilgrims or the non-pilgrims. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us understanding. Ameen. Let us begin number one with a platform. The platform on which all Muslims are currently standing. And that is a platform of time. And this time takes us to the next holy month, which is just around the corner, known as the month of the Hijjah. The first 10 nights of the 12th month of the Islamic Hijri calendar, regarding it, Allah subhanahu wa says in surah number 89, verse number 1 and 2, وَالْفَجْرِ وَلَيَالٍ عَشْرِ Allah subhanahu wa takes an oath by the dawn and the 10 nights. These 10 nights, according to majority of the scholars, will begin from this Saturday night or Sunday night. Meaning it is the 10 nights of the Dhul-Hijjah. Some may say it's the first 10 nights of Muharram or the last 10 nights of Ramadan. Major, majority of the scholars agree in this verse, reference is being given to the first 10 nights of Dhul-Hijjah. The, the 12th month on the Hijri calendar. Ibn Abbas said regarding this verse, Remember Allah during the well-known days. I.e. he is referring to the first 10 days of Dhul-Hijjah. Why? For my dear brothers and sisters, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is swearing oath by them. And swearing an oath by something is indicative of the importance and the great benefits it holds. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has declared in His book the first 10 days of the month of Dhul-Hijjah to be a period of extraordinary generosity. So as to affirm its mark of distinction, he manifested the sanctity of these ten nights in the Holy Qur'an. In these ten nights, the Hajj also commences. Imam Ahmad and Imam Tabarani record from Ibn Umar that the Messenger of Allah said, There is no day more honorable in the sight of Allah and no acts more beloved therein to Allah than those in these 10 days. So say tahleel, say La ilaha illallah. Say takbir, Allah Akbar. Say tahmeed, alhamdulillah, a lot on those days. Ibn Abbas relates that Rasulullah said, on no other days are good deeds more liked by Allah than on these days i.e. the first 10 days of the hijjah hadith of Bukhari. It is reported from Abu Hurairah that Rasulullah said, on no days is the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more loved than in the first 10 days of the hijjah The fact of each of these days is equal to the fast of a whole year. The fast of each of these days is equal to the fast of a whole year. So if we fast for 10 days, we get the reward of 10 years. And the ibadah, the night worship of each of these nights is equivalent to worshipping on what's the greatest day that we know, the greatest night that we search for in Ramadan? Laylatul Qadr. The reward of worshipping in these nights equivalent to worshipping in Laylatul Qadr. And to worship in Laylatul Qadr is equivalent to Al-Fishah, a thousand months, a thousand times ten, ten thousand months. SubhanAllah. 
Hadith of Tirmidhi and Ibn Majah. So let's look at the scoreboard. Haji 1, non-Haji 1. Because both can accomplish this. Number 2. From the midst of the 10, the ninth day holds the greatest of the status. It is the peak of all the 10 days. It is regarded as the day of Arafat. Abu Qatada al-Ansari relates that Rasulullah was asked about fasting on the day of Arafat, the ninth day of the Hijjah. So he responded, it compensates for the minor sins of the past year and the coming year. SubhanAllah. Let me point something out here. Past year makes sense, right? It's past, we've committed some sins and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive them through the fast. But the promise, the promise that the fast will compensate for the minor sins of the previous year, what does that indicate? That Allah will inshallah prolong our life for that year also. Think about this. Because whatever Muhammad is telling us, he's been told by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this fast holds more than just the reward of si the reward that's granted, of course, and of uh, one year of fast, of the years of fasting. But in addition to that, the forgiveness, the aspect of forgiveness is indicative of the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you that life and Allah will forgive you during that one year through the fast of Arafah. Hafsa radiallahu reported that there are five things that Rasulullah never abandoned. Let's look at his lifestyle. Fasting on the day of Ashura. Fasting on the day of Ashura, the 10th of Muharram. Fasting the first 10 days of Dhul-Hijjah. Fasting three days on every month. And praying two raka'ah before the dawn prayer. In another hadith, Abu Hurairah stated that Rasulullah forbade fasting on the day of Arafah for the one who is actually in Arafah. <coughs> now we're trying to say there's prioritization, right? The Haji gets so much. What about us? Here, Rasulullah is prohibiting for a pilgrim who is in the plains of Arafah to fast therein. Imam Tirmidhi comments on this. He says, The scholars prefer that the day of Arafah be fasted unless one is actually in Arafah. So let's look once more on the scoreboard. Haji 1, non-Haji 2. The third opportunity in these blessed days, Takbir Tashriq. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, walillahi alhamd. Allah is most great, Allah is most great. There is no deity besides Allah, and Allah is most great, Allah is most great, and verily all praises are for Allah. After every compulsory farad prayer from the morning of that ninth, i.e. the day preceding the Eid day, all the way to the 13th of the Hijjah, three days after Eid. So the 9th, Fajr, the 10th, the 11th, the 12th, and the 13th till Asr. It is wajib for a reciter to recite this after every prayer. The ruling is that if one is performing prayer in congregation, then everyone performs it together, the takbir after the prayer. This is both for male and for female. The females, however, should recite it with a soft voice. 
This is what is recorded in Shami. And for those who are praying individually or their travelers, they should also recite the takbir softly. So again, an opportunity. Looking once more at the scoreboard. Haji 2, non-Haji 3. The fourth opportunity, the command of the Qurbani, the Udhiyah, the slaughtering of the animal. One night, Ibrahim saw a dream. He dreamt that Allah subhanahu told him to sacrifice his son. Understand one thing, all prophets knew that their dreams is a revelation. In addition to the revelation they get while they're awake, whatever Allah shows them in their dream is also a revelation. So initially he tried to push that thought away. Maybe this was something else. But the next night he had the same dream. Then he concluded with himself and he satisfied his heart and he came to terms and said, Allah subhanahu would only ask him to do such a thing with a good reason. This is my Allah telling me there has to be a good reason behind it. We all know the history how he longed for a child. And when he got this child, now Allah is saying, slaughter him. I.e. put a knife to his neck and finish him off. Although Ibrahim loved his son so much, he was ready to fulfill the command of Allah. So Ibrahim took Ismail as they had to go to the Mount of Arafah. He took a knife and a rope with him. On the way, he passed through Mina. The devil came to him and began to try to trick him and ask him why he was going. Who told him to go? Allah doesn't need your son. So these were three instances where the shaitan came in a physical form. In the form of an old man. Try and tell him, why are you going? Where are you going? Allah doesn't need your son. So at that time, and especially in the third instance, Ibrahim said, you are shaitan. And he pelted him with stones every time. Get away from me. I am out to fulfill the command of Allah. Now let me tell you a point. Whenever you proceed with good, wholesome, wholehearted intention for Allah to do something, shaitan will come. You want to close that business to come? The phone call comes. The customer comes in. Or this question arises or something happens. Why? Because it is known to the devil the sincerity that you hold to go and pursue this deed. He's going to stop it right away. He has to stop it. He's going to put hindrances in your path. So ask yourself, if there's a deed that you're trying to do for a great period of your life, I want to read a Quran, I want to do this, I want to do that. But for some reason, over and over again, something keeps on stopping you, shaitan is stopping you. And the reason he's stopping you, know, because he knows that in you performing this deed, in succeeding in this deed, it will elevate your rank. It will distance you from his connection. It will give you a better perspective in life. And it will allow you to succeed on the path of Sirat al-Mustaqim. So that's why he'll stop you. So Ibrahim is being tested here, loved by Allah, loved his son, and now he's being questioned on this. So what happened was, he asked his son, of course, before departing, Inni arafil manami anni adbahuk. Oh my son, I saw in my dream, I was killing you, I was slaughtering you. Fandur madha tara. Fandur madha tara. Again, Arabic is a different language altogether. The eloquence, the grammar, I can't even go into it. What, what, what is your thought of this, my son? What is your thought? 
He's saying this in a manner which he is not questioning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's command and at the same time he's not putting the full thought and judgment in the hand of his son. What's your thought regarding this? What did his son say abruptly? Ya abatif alma tu'mar. Oh my father, why are you asking me for? Well, Allah has commanded you. Did he tell his son that this was a command? No. But he said, Ya abati, oh my father, if alma tu'mar, do what you've been commanded to do. Satajiduni. Very soon you will find me, insha'Allah, if Allah wills, mina sabirin. Don't be patient. Don't worry. So what happened was Ismail Islam saw that his father is being tested. His mind is playing with him. The shaitan is there. And he's so close now to fulfilling this. Doubt can overcome a human. So Ismail Islam told his father to tie up his hands and his legs and blindfold himself so he would not struggle in fulfilling this command. To the extent it's written, he told his father, take off my garment so that when you take it back to my mother, the blood will not remind you of what just happened. It is said that when Ibrahim put that knife to his throat, i.e. he went to fulfill that command, Allah subhanahu sent down a ram from the heaven and he slaughtered that ram. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honored him and accepted him in this test, not for the blood, not for the blood, Allah did not need the blood of the ram, nor did Allah need the hooves or the skin or the wool of it. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to see fulfillment from His servant wholeheartedly of His command. That is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made a clear cut in the Quran. Sometimes we get caught up in what we're doing, right? And we try to make statements which we shouldn't make because sometimes some statements can ruin everything we've done. I've done all this. This is what I've done. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Now understand a point here. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has all the power. Allah has all the authority. For Him to do anything is a matter of just saying, Kun. Ulama have written even between the kaf and the noon of kun, Allah's command is done. Kun is to make you and I comprehend with these small brains what it means for Allah to do something so easily and simply. But here, Allah is saying in His book Himself, لَنْ يَنَعَلَ اللَّهِ means never. There is no prospect, there is no possibility at all. لَنْ means never. Case closed. Never will it reach to Allah. The blood and the flesh of this animal that you sacrifice, don't do it thinking that Allah needs it. Because I swear by Allah, my dear brothers and sisters, that thought alone is sufficient for our destruction. For whatever you are, whoever you are, whatever you possess, rather yourself all belong to Allah. So how can we ever question what we do for Allah? How can we judge what we do for Allah? How can we measure what we give to Allah? When everything we are, even ourselves, we belong to Allah. So Allah said, nothing reaches me. But what reaches me? Taqwa. What comes from your heart? That thought, that intention, that belief, that pushes you towards completing this deed, that's what Allah wants to see. Allah doesn't need the meat, He doesn't need the blood, He doesn't need the flesh. Allah says, eat it yourself, distribute it to the poor and needy. So the command of Qurbani is found in the Quran in the Hadith. In Surah Kawthar, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Perform salah for your sustainer 
and make the sacrifice. Ibn Kathir rahimahullah states that the words of Allah and perform salah for your sustainer and sacrifice means the sacrifice should be made in the name of Allah and no one else. He concludes Ibn Kathir in this long tafsir that he's given that the correct view of the Nahar in this verse reviews, refers to the slaughtering of the Qurbani animal which will be happening in a few days. He said that Rasulullah used to perform the Eid prayer, then he would slaughter the animal. And in this sequence, Rasulullah would say, He who has performed our salah, i.e. performed the Eid prayer the way we perform it, and slaughtered the animals like we performed it after the Eid prayer, he has indeed correctly discharged his qurbani. However, he who has slaughtered his animal before the salah, then there is no qurbani for him. What are the virtues of this great deed? It is related from Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha that Rasulullah said, There is nothing dear to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala during the days of sacrifice than the sacrificing of animals itself. The sacrificed animal shall come on the day of judgment. The animal you slaughtered will come on the day of judgment with its horns, hair and hooves to be weighed in reward subhanAllah. When you slaughter that animal and you distribute it, you don't even know who you gave it to what they did with it. It's gone. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is keeping record of it. Why? Because Allah wants you to gain the reward of it. So on the day of judgment, that meat that was consumed, that hair that was rotted in the earth, that will be brought back to life and brought in the day of judgment and put in the scale of your good deeds. Why? Because this is something you did for Allah. Allah wants to give you in return of it. Subhanallah. And the sacrifice is accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala before the blood reaches the ground. That's why Rasulullah said, therefore sacrifice with an open and happy heart. Zayn ibn, uh, Zayn ibn relates that the companions of Rasulullah asked, O oh Rasulullah what is this sacrifice? What is this udhiyya? What is this nahar? He replied, it is the sunnah of your father Ibrahim This is not Islam going against uh, you know, animal rights and we're going and we're killing animals all over the world because this is what religion tells us to do. This is the sunnah of Ibrahim This is what Allah gifted us from heaven. Just like salah came as a gift from heaven for us, this udhiyya, this practice is also a gift from heaven because it came from above. They asked again, what benefit do we get from it? Rasulullah answered, a reward for every hair of the sacrificed animal. How many hairs do we have on our own head we cannot count? How many hairs do we have on our mustache we cannot count? How many hairs do we have on our eyebrows we cannot count? Rather, how many hairs are on our eyelashes we cannot count? But how many hairs are on the body of the sacrificed animal? Allah will record it, Allah will preserve it. And for each hair of that animal, a reward will be blessed to you. Then they asked, what is their reward for the animals with wool? Rasulullah said, a reward, he said, for each fiber of the wool. So once more, we look at the scoreboard. Haji 3, non-Haji 4. So in conclusion here today, my dear brothers and sisters, it is apparent that the ummah will be divided during the season of Hajj physically. Yet spiritually, we have a chance to be closer than ever. By the tally, a non-haji has more opportunity to gain putting a haji as the destitute companions. They came complaining to Muhammad about those who were ahead of them and who were affluent. So actually the haji in this scenario of this story is the one who's coming to Rasulullah asking and seeking from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, seeking from Rasulullah some practices and deeds through which they may excel. So my dear brothers and sisters, what could be greater than fasting on the day of Arafah? What could be greater than gaining the reward in these first 10 nights of the Hijjah? 
So, my dear brothers and sisters, vie one another in performance of good deeds. The fact is today, we're not vying with one another. We're not competing with another. We do say have done it. There is no sense of competition. You could run a hundred meters in seven seconds. But you know what? No one was there to see it. And there was no race happening. So there was no motivation, there's no record of it, and no one cares. Let us create an atmosphere, an environment where one another are trying to, you know, to compete with one another and perform good deeds, especially in these first 10 days, so that we could close off this blessed year with good deeds. So that we could close off the deeds of this year as it finishes in 30 days with high regard by the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, around the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by the angels. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us all, wherever we may be, to benefit in the most suitable manner from these nights and days. Ameen ya rabbal alameen. Wa akhiru da'wan alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.